Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that went missing in action. My name's Corey Hazlers, and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. Uh, so, yes, we uh, apologize, listeners, for not putting out a podcast out last week. I'm afraid real life got in the way. What we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the government's policy attitude towards asylum seekers, which you might have seen a couple of new stories about. Um, so we're going to have a talk about what they're planning to do and also think about what the wider political implications of those policies. Steve. Essentially, the government has pretty abhorrent policies towards asylum seekers. This isn't necessarily anything new. We did an episode 18 months ago uh, when Sajid Javid, do you remember the Saj? He was going to be the next prime minister. I do remember um, the Saj. I do remember that uh, he, for quite a while, was going to be the next big thing in the Conservative Party. And then Boris Johnson happened. So he was Home Secretary and inflaming culture war issues around February last year. Around the same time as there was the Greg's vegan sausage roll Farago. Uh, and there were a few, I think, boats of asylum seekers uh, coming across the channel from France and Sasha Javid was uh, taking a very harsh tone on them. And Priti Patel's Home Secretary, quite hardline as well, in a not very nuanced way, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? So um, there's been stories that have come out of various brainstorming sessions, uh, which include completely balmy policies where, well, some of them in, in processing asylum seekers thousands of miles away in a very sort of Australian style system. The most egregious example seems to be one where essentially you'd have a massive wave machine, which would push dinghies of asylum seekers back to France, which um, was scrapped because it might be a bit impractical and sink everyone's boats and lead to quite, uh, quite a lot of deaths. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it looks like the Home Office has been engaging in some blue sky thinking of like the kind of um, Silicon Valley, no idea is a bad idea kind of brainstorming sessions where we go, okay, we've got this problem, quote unquote, as the, go as the government sees it at least, of too many asylum seekers coming to this country. What are the ways that we can handle this properly and maybe even, you know, decrease the numbers that are coming over here? Um, and like all blue sky thinking brainstorming sessions, it, you end up with some absolutely out there ideas because, as they say, no idea is a bad idea in those sorts of kind of conversations. Can we point out at this point that actually some, but some ideas are bad ideas? Very specifically, oh, bad ideas are very bad um, ideas. And absolutely, we can say that there are definitely some bad ideas amongst all of these things. In fact, I would go as far as to say that most of the ideas that have been mooted so far, uh, at least that we've been made aware of, are terrible ideas for, for multiple reasons. Let's start with, as you say, the most egregious one, which is this um, notion of using a, a wave machine as a means to push uh, asylum seekers who are coming over on rafts and things back to, to France. This is James Bond villain level stuff. 
like it's we're going to build a wave machine to try and turn people back from from our, our secret lair so that they can't actually find the, do- the doomsday laser which we've built in the this hidden volcano it's not james bond level style it's johnny english style is what it yeah. is it's not yeah. like this is not this is nothing that Oric goldfinger would do this is what John Malkovich playing Oric Goldfinger would do. I, th- I think we should, as a fan of the James Bond franchise, I think we should make that pretty clear from the outset. This is this is fair, and yet this is something that was at least in some form being considered by the uh, by the Home Office as a solution to how do we prevent more people coming over here to, to claim asylum. Then you've got some more practical, I suppose, um, in the sense that they're not like. I'm not even sure you could build a wave machine to do what they want to do, but at least if you were to try and kind of like find a um, like an island where you could kind of just put all the asylum seekers whilst you process process them, that is something that is physically possible. So in that sense, it's more practical. It's still ridiculous though. More practical in the sense that uh, Damien Hines was a better education secretary than Gavin Williamson kind of yeah. was. Yeah, pretty much. One of the other ideas that they've had was, um, in effect, finding some locations where they can um, basically ship off people who are claiming asylum so that they can be processed there. Um, A couple of different areas have been kind of mooted. I think Papua New Guinea was one of them. There was a couple of uh, areas, uh, other areas around Africa as well. Um, And just off the coast of Scotland on some like old abandoned oil rigs and things has been uh were discussed as well um it should be noted that even the home office realized uh that actually you know we might not it's probably not worth going down the route of looking to to do this in scottish waters because nicola sturgeon might object to the uh, principle of uh, uh of this policy being done in in, in areas that, technically speaking, she controls um, as the uh, as the first minister of Scotland, um, so that one does seem to have been abandoned pretty swiftly. Sadly, the notion of sending people off to Papua New Guinea, less so. Oh, I forgot one, um, and this one seems to be another one that they are genuinely looking at, which is basically building a seawall to try and prevent people from getting into uh, British waters properly. Um, so, in effect, it would be you know let's say in between like the on the english channel uh you would have a kind of like a, a wall that goes in there and then just a, a gap which is where all the maritime uh traffic goes through presumably inspired by john lanchester's dystopian novel from last year called the wall in which the literal plot of the novel is that this is a britain of the near future where increasing climate catastrophe has meant that the UK has had to build a wall around the coast and all of the nation's young have to be conscripted in the new national service and spend two years guarding the wall. That sounds terrifying and also somewhat feasible under this Conservative government. To keep out, um, yeah, to, essentially to keep out climate asylum seekers, uh, climate yeah. refugees. And I think that's sort of the, the point, isn't it? That we've got, there is... There's going to be, and we have talked about this on the podcast before, um, through uh, one of the implications of the climate crisis 
is uh, an increase in climate refugees and probably an increase in asylum seekers. And that's true because more lands will become unlivable, but it's also because the, the climate catastrophe has led to more unstable governments. Say, um, I think the, the, the rise in grain prices contributing to the Arab Spring, for instance, you're going to see an increase in refugees and therefore harsh, politi- harsh policies like these are morally abhorrent anyway, but they're also not going to stop the basic problem. It's very much a case of uh, treating the, the symptom rather than trying to actually find a cure for the condition itself. There's also a part of me which feels like they're not even trying to do that. What This is all very much just part of uh, that, that culture war narrative that this government seems to be very, very big on. Um, because, you know, practicalities be damned of any of these. These are all very headline-grabbing initiatives in, in one form or another, um, which is something this government likes. Um, they're not very good at following through on any of them, but they like to anou- make announcements. Um, so you've got that. It's very much in the, in, in that kind of that, that very strong left wing versus right wing space. It's something where on, in kind of like the online space on places like Twitter, you will often find um, when you get into the like right wing Twitter sphere, um, lots of individuals who are kind of going on about this sort of thing. So it. If, if you're not paying attention to, to, to actual public discourse and instead are kind of being duped into thinking that Twitter is 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 the real world, um, you can easily find yourself kind of looking at the like asylum seekers as though it's a problem to be that, that, that you can, I suppose, you know, utilize as part of your election campaigning um, rather than it being, you know, something that actually needs to be looked at as a serious issue in, in some capacity. It's a few things, aren't there? I suppose, yeah, one of them is, as we've said before, this is a government that is dedicated to campaigning rather than governing effectively, and therefore you don't see a humanitarian crisis that's developing. Instead, you see a wedge issue that you can try and develop your core vote towards um, and try and build a core vote. I, I'm very sceptical about that, which I'm guessing we'll get to in a sec. I think the, the other thing is there's this weird obsession with this government with Australia in particular, I was trying to pick up government policy from there. So you mentioned that one of the, the, the proposals is to process asylum claims on Papua New Guinea. Also, I think Ascension Island, like off in the, in the middle of the um, South Atlantic, which makes no practical sense whatsoever. But I suppose we also do have a government which has decided that we can have an internal border in Kent. So practicalities, not the strong point. And, but, uh, Australia's been a bit of a a sexy country on the right for quite a while. They've mentioned their points-based immigration system. We've talked about that on the podcast. Tony Abbott, very odd appointment as our trade envoy, seems to be the point because he's Australian and Australia has a trade policy and he was the only one who would do it. The system in Australia, when they brought this in, it's estimated that 1,200 asylum seekers drowned trying to get to Australia because of the system that was brought in like this is this is a system which doesn't need to be brought in and as you say that they are doing it for a political imperative it's obviously abhorrent in in many many ways that you would look to bring in a system just purely for political reasons which then can have such literal life and death impacts on people um and and, and you know it may maybe it isn't as maybe the the system in and of itself doesn't 
lead to as many deaths as say has happened in a, in Australia. But if you are going to be copying that system in some capacity, then you are going to have to deal with the same kind of problems. Now, it might be feasible to actually look look at the Australian systems, go, okay, roughly we were looking for the same things. These are the issues they had, and then try and resolve them and solve them. But again, look at what this, this government does. Look at what they are focused on. And they aren't looking to kind of resolve things. They, they don't really care. They just want a headline-grabbing initiative to get them to see them through to the next news cycle um, because that, that, that's, that's what they are. They're a campaigning government. Pretty much all of these you know, ridiculous ideas that are coming from, from the Home Office on these sorts of stuff, I would expect to see more and more of these across different fields. Let's take education for some, for for instance, an area where you know you have members um, of the cabinet um, like Michael Gove. You've got individuals like Dominic Cummings who are obviously advising the prime minister, who have strong opinions about the blob of you know the educational establishment and, and things like that. I can easily see there being, um, you know, as part of their attempts to try and get around what they consider to be, um, you know, limitations within. Um, the education system are more radical proposals coming which are complete blue sky thinking nonsense nonsensical policy decisions but they they look really good for, for a news cycle in fact thinking about it we've already seen one like the moonshot um, thing with uh, which johnson was talking about in relation to oh yeah we can have a testing system which will you know, you know, with technology that doesn't exist yet, which will cost 10 billion a year to run, um, which will give us results almost instantaneously and, and things like that. That was something he announced specifically in one of his addresses. It, it, the technology doesn't even exist. Um, we're not actually investing in the technology for it to exist. So why was it given? Well, it was because they're trying to control the news cycle but by announcing a big kind of headline policy that makes everybody maybe feel good. Yeah, the feel-good thing is a is a massive issue, isn't it? That there's um, the inevitable Toby Young. I can't believe you know, I voted for Boris Johnson, and now he's not the amazing prime minister I thought he would. Um, a theme of that was almost that uh, people supported Johnson because they thought he'd be this happy, optimistic figure um, after. I think a rather dour public image of Theresa May, and so yeah, the moonshot thing is definitely a sense of trying to bring back this optimism um, when actually we just don't, we don't want optimism. We just want competence. We just want a yeah. government that can test people, track people, maybe not contract out to Serco. That would be nice. Although, don't, don't, don't aim for the impossible there. We're, we've just talked about um, you know not not making false promises and things. So let's let's not go too far. Well, yes, as Rav Butler famously said, that politics is the art of the impossible. Um, But there's also, so the other thing is, as you say, so Govan Cummings talk about the blob, this sort of civil service intelligentsia sort of blocking reform. And that's originally an, an American term. And so it comes into what you were saying about the culture war as well, is the blob is quite, the blob is, is in the, an American term that doesn't really fit a British problem. I mean, if you've watched Yes Minister, you can see that there is a an administrative st- part of the British state which might lead the government one way or the other. But to claim it's somehow some form of socialist bloc is nonsense. And there's a big, it feels like paranoia in the Tory party that they've got a massive majority now. Uh, the 
EU referendum went the way that most Tory MPs and members would like, that although they've got complete hegemony over a lot of the UK at the moment, they still feel like they haven't got enough cultural power or soft power. And you can see this with some of the Farago trying to appoint Charles Moore as head of the um, chair of the BBC, for instance, and Mark Wallace tried to make the point that not enough Conservatives have been appointed as chairs of the BBC. And it was Stephen Bush pointed out, I think it's like eight of the last 12 or something have been Tories, like Chris Patton, who is, okay, yeah, he's a Tory wep. He's not exactly a social Democrat. He was one of the last chairmen of the BBC. It's very weird that these people who've got everything they've wanted over the past five or 10 years still see themselves as, as victims in some way and that there's somehow some liberal elite pulling the strings. And I just... You're right that they're trying to forge this culture war, but I'm not sure is how that really plays out in the British context. I, I think the reason they've kind of um, ended up kind of falling into these notions of culture wars and you know focusing on on you know the areas where maybe they don't have complete dominance um, is because like the the modern British Conservative Party is no longer conservative with a small C. It, it's not the party of of of, of, of Heath <laughs> anymore, you know. Um, it probably hasn't been since 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 Thatcher, um, but it def- definitely isn't now. Yeah, well, Ted, Ted Heath made very sure of that by doing yeah. this for about fifteen years. It's very true, um, but uh, but yeah, you, you know they've 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 abandoned the notion of conservatism as you know managing change. So like like the, in in many many ways, like what what conservative ideology in theory, like if you go uh, go and look at like Burke and and like the speeches he gave in response to the various revolutions of of, of his day, his thing was if you go too far, you cause problems. Like revolutionary change, radical change in and of itself creates problems and is dangerous. But that doesn't mean you don't change at all. Like you just have to kind of manage it and sl- slowly, slowly catch your monkey, make make the changes so that you can do it properly. Um, a quote from Edmund Burke. Absolutely, yeah. I think you'll you'll, you'll find it in his writings. Um, but f- since since at least Thatcher, and um, probably for some people before that point, obviously because Thatcher had to get selected um, as leader. Um, They've they've kind of abandoned being conservative with a small c in favour of neoliberalism, and now they kind of seem to be. I, I, I'd argue even now they're not even neoliberal anymore. They're corporatist. Um, look at the policies that have been kind of been thrown out from um, in relation to furlough and things like that. So, for instance, the uh, like Sunak's uh, policy of oh yeah, we can help you hire people. Um, who have been unemployed, but to do so centrally needs to be done if you're only if you're hiring like thirty plus people, which most businesses aren't going to be able to do. So you're talking a big about big business being getting that benefit. They've they've they've, they've abandoned, I'd say, even neoliberalism um, because they're 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 actively kind of doing more state aid focused things, not just in terms of corporate aid, but in terms of in theory the leveling up stuff that they've discussed as well. The Conservatives have just ceased to be conservative, which means they have become revolutionaries in some capacity. And you can definitely see that with um, Dominic Cummings, who's got that kind of Maoist attitude to burn everything down and everything will be fine. As a result of that, they have to go looking for for fights. They have to go looking for, um, for, for people to kind of blame for things because if they can't find people to blame for things, they're responsible for it. And that's that's the downfall of all kind of like revolutionary 
elements in one one form or another it's that ultimately if you're successful if your revolution is successful you're in power and chances are you're not going to get it right because no one gets it right there's never been a government in the entire history of the world that has gotten it right completely you can point to individual successes but you will also find an absolute ton of failures as well but when you're kind of committed to that kind of revolutionary change which this government is in various forms including brexit in and of itself you are left with them desperately seeking people to blame and that feeds into the culture war elements because you're immediately splitting the country yeah so stepping back a bit there's a there's an interesting contradiction i think between the personal character of margaret thatcher and the consequences of the policies that she unleashed because as you say thatcher was a uh, she was a very thatcherite politician indeed um, quite i know um but the, the, that, that kind of emphasis on on free markets on opening up to private businesses on unleashing individuals and that that created a greed is good culture which was in many ways at odds with actually her sense of personal responsibility and her sense of morality and it was something that was never really come to terms with really and you can see that contradiction across centre-right parties all across the world now. I mean, you can see it most obviously in the Republican Party in America, where the kind of businessmen who backed Trump are not your general uh, you know, factory owners. They're more sort of hedge fund managers, more sort of risky capital gains types. They're not your, your white-collar conservative professionals of, of the past. And you're right that they, the, and so what is trying to happen is just as in America, you have this group which is not united amongst economic issues. So instead, you've got to lead on social issues. In America, it's sort of easier because there is a more political culture around freedom of to have guns, to restrict access to abortion and be more pro life, that sort of thing. It's not really, I don't think, the case in Britain. And there's a, Katie Bulls has written some interesting stuff on it, who's one of the more well-connected Tory commentators. And there's this new group of 2019 Tory MPs who are you know, red wall conservative, um, former Labour seats that these people tend to hold. And they want to obviously keep hold of them and cement a Tory majority. And this group are very big on the fact that um, they think a culture war is the way for the Tories to progress. And that genuinely means being very tough on crime, it means being very tough on immigration. It means being very big on patriotism. And um, we've seen that in some of the, the, very, the silly season cultural stories. So if this had been a, a normal year, Steve, and there wasn't a raging pandemic and also a raging hailstorm, which you might be able to hear on our roof um, in, in the podcast. So apologies for that if you can hear it, listeners. But in a normal silly season, we probably would have talked for about five minutes about land of hope and glory getting rid of statues these were sort of cultural skirmishes that the Tories tried to turn into a massive issue but didn't become a massive issue partly because voters really don't care and also Labour under Keir Starmer has been pretty good I think actually uh, being quite reticent on cultural issues not falling into any of the traps the Tories are setting um, what I think is actually interesting on the asylum seekers issue just to bring it back to that for a second is actually both Keir Starmer and Nick Thomas Simmons, the Shadow Home Secretary, have been pretty clear in condemning 
any of the government policies that have been announced on asylum seekers. And they've said it's not only morally abhorrent, but it's also costly and wouldn't work. That it's it's really good to see that actually on basic questions of morality, they are absolutely pushing back. But still sensible enough to not fall into any of those Tory traps. Yeah, and in relation to the asylum seeker stuff as well, there's like under Corbyn, obviously, you know, there would have been pushback, but it would have been this is just morally abhorrent. What they've gone for with Starmer and, and Simmons at least is is they've gone it's morally abhorrent and also it doesn't work. Like it's cost this is going to be a waste of money. It's going to be a waste of taxpayers' money. It's it's just going to waste everybody's time and not achieve what you want it to achieve. So it's a continuation of like the uh, the strategy of trying to depict the government as being incompetent. And you know, when you've also got stories being leaked about how they want to use wave machines to you know to, to do these things, it's you know it, it it makes the ideas look worse in 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 in, in compa- uh, uh, at the same time because they're being lumped in with these ridiculous notions. So even if they come up with something that's semi-practical, like it still looks terrible because it came out of the same bloody brainstorm session as as wave machines and and uh, and, and using Ascension Island. And the impression you get from reading the Katie Balls piece is that some of these Tory MPs are looking at. Nigel Farage, who is going to set up another new party to challenge masks and stuff. Isn't Lawrence Fox doing the same and, thing? Yeah, as is Lawrence Fox, who again would be the target for a silly season episode. And it is such a shame because he's very, very good in Lewis. So I can see on one level why they're looking at Nigel Farage to a lesser extent. I don't see why they're looking at Lawrence Fox. I don't think that's particularly serious. But I can see why you want to try and shore up your right flank and see off a challenge from Nigel Farage for the 708th time. But I think it also negates the fact that actually the next issue, the next election will probably be fought on the economy rather than on culture issues, especially given that um, we seem to have massive benefit cuts that have been announced. Um, the fellow scheme is being we've replaced with something that just isn't good enough, really, because there is no support for industries uh, which can't operate, like uh, music venues, for instance. So we're going to see a massive spike in unemployment. That is what's going... God, I'm actually making an unbidden prediction, which is probably not a great idea. But that is what is going to define the political landscape, I imagine, over the next two or three years. Again, Stephen Bush, who is the oracle, responding to some of this stuff... Um, was of the view that actually the reason why the Tory MPs are having to lean on culture war issues is because Downing Street is failing not only to control the pandemic uh, and, it, it, and mis- mishandling the pandemic, but also is failing the economy stuff as well. And so culture is all you've got left. You know, everything that the government seems to be kind of doing moving forward when, when it comes to the economy, as you've mentioned, like we're already talking about benefit cuts and, and things like that, is not only just economically counterproductive i feel at this point but it's also just going to absolutely hit the people that they're trying to um maintain their 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 votes with um they need to maintain those red wall seats in order to maintain the majority that they have um but the issue is a lot of those red wall seats are going to be the ones that are going to be affected by this and i think we were saying saying before that like Birmingham Northfield, one of those red wall type seats, 44% of their of uh, the residents there are going to lose a grand a year off of their benefits as a result of the uh, government's current, current policy proposals. That's noticeable. It's not even necessarily just a case of there's the 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 
that number 10 isn't providing Tory MPs with, um, you know, some, something, some good economic news to go with. It's just the fact that the only weapon they've got left in their arsenal because of uh, everything else going, kind of going out the window as a result of the pandemic, because they, they've already got Steve Baker kind of saying, there's no money left, guys. We can't do any levelling up. We need to have signed sound finances, all of that sort of stuff, which is why Sunak's kind of going down the avenue he is. So the only thing they've got left is the culture war stuff. But it, I, I just don't see it being as effective as they seem to think it will be. When you look at looks at the polling for um, like the whole land of a hope and glory stuff, or like should Churchill's statue be pulled down, all of those sorts of things, there wasn't like a a huge split <laughs> amongst the amongst the people of Britain. It was very very clearly like no, yes, the like the lyrics should be sung provided it's safe to do so um, in in a COVID uh, 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 COVID pandemic um, to to land in hope and glory. That's fine. No, we're fine with Churchill being up there. Yes, he probably was a racist, but... The, the problem with a lot of these cultural issues is a lot of people don't care about them. Yeah. And it's not really a wedge issue because most people think the same thing. Um, so I don't think it washes. Um, and instead, as you say, what, what the consequence of that then is you end up dog whistling and enacting suggesting or just enacting policies which are massively harmful to people at the bottom of society. Um, Some of the worst off who are going to be hit massively, as you say, by the benefit cut. People in insecure jobs massively affected by the furlough scheme and massive and um, asylum seekers as well. You know, some of the most vulnerable people, some of the most vulnerable people in the world who are coming here for help and we're, we're, we're letting them down really letting down that international obligations but I suppose the government's quite relaxed actually at letting down its international obligations so maybe we shouldn't be terribly surprised I mean I'm pretty sure they're just relaxed about meeting any of their obligations in, in, in general let's be honest like the conservative manifesto wasn't exactly filled with actual meaningful statements about what they'd do that's it that that yeah that that, re- that really yeah. Yeah. unlike boris johnson we're going to try and keep our promises obviously we genuinely put podcasts out every sunday apologies again that one didn't come out we're going to let, let's say steve in this episode we are going to do a patron episode um at some point so if any of our champagners would like to ask us any questions about um we can answer your questions or if you've got a topic you'd like us to talk about um let us know on Twitter at No Champagne Pod. Let us know on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Not No Champagne. Or if you want to support us and add to the conversation on our Patreon page, where could you go for that, Steve? Uh, you could go to patreon.com slash not enough champagne where you can uh, throw us a couple of quid every month uh, and gain access to the aforementioned additional episodes, which we record on a uh, frequent basis. Uh, yeah, so you'll get a uh, slightly different feel, slightly different topics discussed, um, as well as we try and run uh, when we can um, some kind of like uh, conversations with uh, our various uh, regular talking heads on, on the show at points as well. You can also, of course, ask us questions on our on, on our personal Twitter handle. So I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. Happy plotting.